Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 7, from verse 36 to 50. Luke 7, 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in, the, in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to, to, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he will know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That is, that, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward, towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came, in, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? She said to the, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thanks so much. Love to pray for you. Good. Thanks very much. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Father, I ask that 
the word that comes out of Amy's mouth, inspired by your spirit, breathed by your spirit this morning would be a siren call to us, that it would wake us where we need to be awoken, that it would direct us. that it would lead us to deeper devotion to Jesus and that through it you would remind us of how much we have been forgiven. And I ask that all of this would be for the sake of the people who don't yet know that there is a God who loves, who heals, who forgives and who's making all things new. Fill us with your presence. Let us hear your words in power today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thanks, Johnny. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning. My name is Amy, if I have not met you before. Um, a huge welcome to those that are visiting us this morning or um, here for the first time. Um, you are incredibly welcome, as always. Um, but as Beth said, you know, it feels like there has been a lot going on. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot going on the last year. Uh, if we reflect back on all the things that God has done here and all the different things um, that we've done as a church. Um, but even just the last few weeks with these um, July uh, worship and waits every um, week, they have been at times really powerful. Um, and so as Beth said, I really encourage you to come um, and join us at Lady Bay this coming Wednesday. Um, and there have been moments, like particularly um, this last Wednesday when we were praying at St. Saviour's, um, just moments where it feels like the Lord is like downloading um, his heart for this church, his heart for the church and this city. Um, and we've been praying into that. Um, but it really feels like, yeah, this, this sort of moment of, um, of God sort of speaking and bringing clarity to us. And I think the overarching sense over the last couple of weeks is that God is uh, raising up this army. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And, um, but raising up this sort of weak army, if you like, this dependent army um, to, to take ground, uh, to take what the enemy is, is, has taken but actually belongs to us, belongs to God. Um, and Johnny talked about that uh, last week in that sense of sort of um, taking back even generational um, stuff where the enemy has wanted to come and, and steal and kill and destroy. But actually, it's a moment to take the inheritance, to take what's ours um, in Christ. So anyway, it's a different sermon. But uh, Johnny and I in September, we're going to be um, looking at, a little bit at that. What does it mean? Um, it, you know, if we, as we look in um, the vision, if we look at the year to come, uh, what is God asking us as a church, and what does it mean for us um, to, to take what's ours in Christ? Um, so watch that space. Uh, we're going to be talking about it in greater, in greater detail in September. Um, but this morning, uh, we are out of a teaching series. We've done Revelation, and now the last couple of weeks has kind of been a, a bit of a free-for-all of kind of sharing uh, some of the stuff that's on our hearts. And... Um, uh, and so I get to come today, basically, and to teach whatever I want. <laughs> um, and so I'm just going to share a little bit of what's on my heart um, at the minute. And um, I think for some of us, uh, the summer 
I think for some, might may not for everyone, is a quieter season. Uh, getting some nods, is it, maybe? Um, I always see that sort of summer period as a bit of a slowing down time, uh, a time to sort of reflect on the year and, um, and take a bit of a moment to sort of regroup. And, uh, and Johnny and I are... Uh, going to be taking a bit of time over August to sort of regroup as a family and to spend some time, like some really sort of uh, solid time together and also have a bit of a rest. Um, So we're not going to be around as much um, through the month of August. But as I was, you know, sort of coming into August, you know, preparing my heart and, you know, sort of reflecting a little bit on the year gone, um, I'm asking this question, uh, or should I say, Jesus is asking me this question. You know, how's your devotion going? <laughs> how's your devotion to me? You know, in all the activity and all the good works and all the taking ground <laughs> for him, you know, is my heart solely devoted to him? You know, am I still your first love, Amy? Is being with me in the quiet, not achieving anything, (laughs) enough? Is that the end? Is that where fullness is for you? And so I am taking these questions into the summer, um, and, uh, and I bring them before you this morning as well as we look at this beautiful, beautiful passage um, in Luke's gospel. But I thought I would start firstly by sharing a little bit about my story. I think some people have heard it uh, many times, but you know, if you're new, um, I like to share it periodically to build faith and to sort of speak it again to myself, to be honest. Um, But I I grew up uh, going to church. My family were um, part of the Anglican church, and we started, you know, we sort of went to church every Sunday, sort of did that thing. and, um, And I went because I had to, basically. And Uh, went to Sunday school and all that jazz. But really, when I got to my teenage years, um, I I just didn't have the desire to go anymore. And so um, my parents were pretty cool, like pretty loose and sort of said, you know, well, you know, let's figure it out. You figure it out. Ultimately, this needs to be your faith type thing. And, uh, and so there were times in my teenage years where I wouldn't go because I would be out of friends on a Saturday night, for example, and I didn't get up in time and all that stuff. And I basically just began to sort of drift away. Um, and I went to, when I was 18, I went to university. And, uh, and when I got to university, um, the only way to describe it, and I've described this uh, so many times in this way because it really, it's really helpful, um, is when I got to university, it was like I, um, it's like I had a mirror put up in front of me. Um, and suddenly, it was like my eyes changed to see an image in the mirror um, that I hadn't seen before. And the image in the mirror was like just awful, like I hated it. It was like I had this mirror put up in front of me that was like just hatred towards this person that I saw. Um, And I became very um, low and depressed with that. Um, I actually gained quite a lot of social anxiety with that, like from being quite a social girl throughout my whole childhood, got to university and I was like really anxious, like going out or making friends. It was like this weird self-hatred that sort of came um, upon me. It it meant that I spent quite a lot of my three years at university wanting to sort of um, 
sort out the outer appearance. Because uh, if, if, you know, I didn't want anyone to see what was inside of me, so I wanted to, everyone to see the external. So, oh, as long as I look okay on the outside, it'll be okay. So I, had a, um, I, I ended up um, sort of uh, having quite an uh, unhealthy relationship with food, and I would spend hours and hours and hours at the gym um, with this desperate desire to um, make myself look good, basically. And it became really habitual, awful ways of thinking. It literally was a prison. That's the way. It was like a prison in my mind. And, uh, and throughout the three years, um, it wasn't too good. But towards the end of my final year, um, I, I honestly can only put it down to a work of, the God, of, the, a work of God, a work of the Spirit, um, and my mum's prayers. I really believe that. Pray parents uh, or pray everyone for children. Um, but I basically, um, I just sort of had this like thought that was like, oh, my parents are like really good people. They're really intelligent uh, and faith-filled people. Um, and they really believe this. You know, they, they, they're really like going after uh, Jesus. And so um, I thought to myself, do you know, I'm going to go, I'm just going to figure out I'm going to go and figure out whether this is real or not. Anyway, so I basically, you know, sort of looked, read, started to read my Bible. Things started to make sense. I had like a gazillion questions. Um, and I did like loads of alpha uh, courses, um, like sort of jumped in and out of quite a few um, different courses. Left university. And I went uh, traveling with a friend. And we went uh, traveling around the world, like a sort of, um, a sort of gap year kind of trip. Um, and at this point in my life, I basically had um, decided in my mind um, that it was real, that, you know, that, that I sort of, um, you know, rationally believed that Jesus is who he says he is. You know, he is who he says he is. He's either uh, mad or true. <laughs> he is the son of God. He proclaimed that he was the son of God. So I believed. I was like, yeah, yeah, actually, I rationally believe that, yes, he is the son of God and, 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 and so forth. Anyway, um, but I got to um, Australia, which is my around-the-world trip thing, and, uh, and got to Australia, and there was random set of events meant that I ended up at a particular conference in Sydney, which was a Christian conference, and I went there, and the whole week was all about the love of God, um, and that he loves me, and all that good stuff, and there was um, a call at the end of the week, which basically said, come forward if you want to receive Christ, and, uh, and I, like I said, prayed the prayer loads of times, decided in my head, but I wasn't seeing any life change. You know, I wasn't seeing uh, freedom. I was still not in peace. I was still living out the same habitual cycles and all that stuff. Um, and so I went to the front and I just said, um, I put my hands out and I said, Lord, I beg you to make yourself known to me. And I stood there for what meant, I felt like, you know, a long time, 15 minutes, I'd say, and I sort of stood there and I said, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you to make yourself known. And if you make yourself known, you can have my whole life. You can have everything. I just need to know um, that you are who you say you are. And, uh, and I, in that moment, had an encounter with um, the Spirit that I had no context for. You know, I, I'd never experienced the power of God in that way. Um, and so... I was filled with his spirit, basically, um, and it was the most uh, beautiful experience I've ever had in my life, you know, um, just a beautiful encounter with a love and a, and a purpose and this just sense of hope that I've never experienced ever, um, and I just didn't want to move. I was like, oh, I don't want to leave.
leave, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave. And so I was just in this moment for ages. Um, anyway, I woke up the next morning, and that was a beautiful experience. But the most profound thing was I woke up in the morning, and it was like that mirror, you know, that mirror that I saw was smashed. Yes, it was. And I was like, I am a daughter of the king. I have dignity. And it was like, oh, I am like, I, I, am, I am yours. And if you are you, then, oh, my goodness, I have, there's a hope and a future and there's purpose. Um, and it was like this fire in my belly to go and tell everyone else that they've got dignity, that you don't need to live like that. You don't need to figure life out on your own anymore. Um, spitting everywhere here. Um, but... Um, and so from that moment, I literally was like, all right, I'm in. I am so in with whatever you have for me in whatever way to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Um, anyway, to, I, basically, the rest of my story is that I, um, I meant it. I like really gave my allegiance to Christ in that moment. And I said, fine, you, you know, do, with what, do with me what you want. And so the rest of my 25 years, however old I am now, um, I, it's basically been a journey of taking Jesus' hands, the most kind, merciful, gracious, faithful person who ever exists and exists by his spirit. I took his hand and I just said, you take my life. And it's been a journey of him basically leading me into areas that I would never in a million years thought that he would lead me. Um, and it's been this journey of him basically exposing all the other loves in my life. That's what it is. He's like, oh, you, you trust that part of your life too much. That's not good for you. So we're going to deal with that. You've given a lot of control over to this aspect. Or you, gosh, you seek a lot of self-worth from what people think about you. Let's deal with that. And so it's been this journey of his kindness of basically bringing order to my worship. Because that's the point. If you read the scriptures, the whole thing is like, love the Lord your God first. That's it. Everything we do out of that is just bonus. It's just byproduct of our devotion to the Lord being the first, first thing. I mean, I'm reading Judges. I just said this the other day. And every time it's like, you know, oh, God's really annoyed. You know, he, he, he hates that they're worshiping other gods. And then it's like the cry out because worshiping other gods then leads to oppression. And then, you know, the cycle continues. Anyway, not different thing. But the whole, the whole point is... We are on a journey to love God first, basically. And uh, because ultimately that's freedom, isn't it? When our, when our loves are ordered, when he's the one that we're worshiping above any other God, we're putting our trust in him, because that is worship. We worship something when we put our trust and depend upon it. And if that's not God, that's that's death, that's oppression, that isn't good, that's not freedom. And so he's going to relentlessly go about ordering our loves because he wants freedom for us, not because he wants to whip us, because that is how we receive peace, is when our orders are loved. And so we're going to look at this um, passage um, that is just a beautiful depiction, I think, of what it means to be um, utterly devoted. And so open... Um, Luke 7, we're going to um, have a little look at this parable. Um, now, we've heard this story. I know 
many of us have many, many, many times. And often it can be one of those that's like, oh, it's that again. What a great story. Oh, you know, or oh, it's that story again, you know, however that sits with you. But let's just enter in. What if the Spirit wants to reveal something afresh um, this morning? And, uh, and this is a powerful story that is repeated throughout the Gospels. Um, but interestingly, in Luke, it's the, only, um, it's the only story that has a parable in it too, where Jesus actually explains what's going on through a parable um, in this particular um, account in Luke. And, uh, and I love this idea. Um, I love actually this description of parables that says parables are stories with intent. And I actually heard Johnny Hughes, credit Johnny Hughes, uh, say this, that a parable is like a bomb that goes off. And when we get it, when the penny drops, it blows our minds and blows our comfort into pieces. <laughs> I was like, that's quite cool. So let's hope that it blows our minds and blows our comfort into pieces uh, this morning. Um, okay, so the context here then is, uh, so this scene is... Um, that Pharisee uh, named Simon, um, he has invited Jesus to eat with him in his house. And, um, and I was reading, actually, I've read a little bit around um, this sort of culturally. And, uh, and what's interesting when we sort of picture this scene is, um, is, is often these moments of dinner uh, where you're having a discussion with Jesus, they're sort of open, so it's not a closed event. Sometimes they're actually even held within courtyards. So the public around can actually witness and listen um, to the discussions that are going on. Um, and so when this um, woman comes into the scene, it isn't how I often imagine, which is this sort of like barging through the door, you know, coming in and doing, you know, all of what we just read about. It actually isn't like that at all. She's probably just hanging out. Um, in the crowd around. So that's the context here. So what do we learn then about the woman? Well, we firstly, we learn um, in many translations that she is a woman in the city um, who is a sinner. Um, and the proper translation is a woman of the city. Um, and th so therefore, it's really clear um, to the reader that she probably is a prostitute or a streetwalker. Um, and she's coming to this moment. She's coming to, uh, to this house, uh, not hiding anything. She's not hiding that uh, fact about her. Secondly, in verse 34, it says, uh, 37, sorry, it says, she has learned that Jesus is eating at the Pharisee's house and has come with an alabaster jar of ointment. So she, firstly, she clearly knows Jesus and she wants to be near him. She's clearly encountered him before and she wants to be near him. Thirdly, she has come prepared. She's come prepared and she's come with an offering perhaps hoping that she might get a chance to anoint Jesus' feet. And again, preparing this as reading um, that often in these moments, um, the, the sort of less honored people were often asked in the crowds to come and anoint um, the guests' feet. And so I love this idea that perhaps she's coming with her alabaster jar. She's coming prepared because she's thinking, oh, maybe I might get asked. Maybe I might get asked. Uh, to anoint his feet. And then we see this beautiful encounter, this radical encounter, an overwhelming response to being in the presence of Jesus. You know, she's standing in the crowd and she's unable to hold back the tears of being in the sight of Jesus. 
And culturally, you know, when you're invited into um, a house, I'm sure many of you know this, when you're invited into someone's house, you are greeted with water um, to wash your feet. It's like a cultural norm that you're given water to wash your feet. Um, There's always a kiss of greeting and an anointing with oil. And we learn, don't we, in the, in the scriptures, we read through it, that later Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee um, that he didn't do any of those cultural greetings. And some say that this is just a way of shaming Jesus, that Simon just wanted to shame him, that he wasn't honored in that space. You know, we're not fully sure. But what is completely possible is that she is standing in the crowd. Just try a picture with me. So she's standing in the crowd And she's watching on. And she's seen that Jesus hasn't been honored. She's seen that Jesus hasn't been honored. And she can't bear it. She can't bear it. And she falls to his feet, honoring him by doing everything that Simon didn't do. Washing his feet with her tears and kissing them and anointing them with oil. She let her hair down. She gave everything, not just the financial perfume, but she gave the fear of rejection, the attack for those looking on, and she just didn't care. She just cling, clung to Jesus. And so this woman comes without conditions into the presence of Jesus, comes without conditions, and she gives Jesus everything she has. In contrast then, what do we learn about Simon? Well, we learn that Simon's interested enough to invite Jesus to dinner. Um, Again, culturally, inviting someone to dinner was basically like an act of friendship. It's basically saying, you know, I really want to be friends with you. And so it shows, therefore, that Simon is wanting something from Jesus. There is an openness in Simon. There is an openness in him to want to know more about who Jesus is. However, it's not a usual greeting. There's no honor. And he's clearly skeptical, isn't he? He's clearly unsure of who Jesus is, saying, you know, if he's a prophet, he'd know better, as we read later on in the text. And so Simon is coming to this moment with Jesus. That He's clearly met him before, so this is not the first encounter. He's clearly met Jesus before, but he's coming with prejudgments. He's coming with conditions, maybe even with fear. You know, who, who are you? Who is this guy? And he's wanting a discussion. He's wanting a conversation. And so what we see here then is that both come to Jesus. It isn't a story of one being like really hungry and the other one not interested at all. You know, they they both are coming to Jesus. They're both inviting him in to their lives, but in completely different ways. Simon comes at arm's length. He wants to keep Jesus in a, in a little box of control or safety. Uh, I want to keep you in my understanding, you know, the, of the world. You know, still, Simon is still the judge. And he's wanting something from Jesus. He wants something from him. It, it, it's an exchange. Whereas the woman, you know, is coming completely abandoned, like I said, in radical devotion, giving everything she has to Jesus. And so the question to me, and perhaps the question for you, is what then has led this, what has led this woman to uncontrollably give herself to him? What's hurt her so much that he hasn't been honored? What pains her 
And I think Jesus explains it in the parable. Okay, so verse 40, Simon has something to tell you. And he says that there's these two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, denarii um, which, is which is basically a year and a half year's wages, quite a lot. And one owned 50, which is one month's wages. And he says, you know, both debts were cancelled. But who loves him more? Jesus, Simon replies, the one who had greater debt uh, was cancelled. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Jesus then turns to the woman and affirms all she did for him, honoring her devotion and her ability to love him so well. And says, you know, verse 47, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. This is why she has shown great love. Those whom little is forgiven, loves little. Now, the key here, I believe, in this parable is that both can't pay. Both can't pay. The woman's devotion, it comes from her ability to see her need of Jesus, recognizing that she is a sinner and that she knows who he is and how worthy of her worship and her whole life, and worthy of her whole life. That she has received full forgiveness and knows it, knows what's on offer with Jesus. Simon, however, doesn't recognize his need of Jesus, doesn't recognize the debt, or he thinks it's a little. He doesn't see how in need of him he actually is. He comes interested enough to invite Jesus in, but unable to see the extent of his need of forgiveness, that he too is a sinner. So what is clear is that the extent to which we know how forgiven we are will determine how we are able to love Jesus and others and give ultimately our whole life to him. You know, when I read this, and I've read it so many times, I sometimes wonder, you know, how am I not more in love? You know, oh, how am I, how am I not more broken for the dishonor Jesus has in our city? The ways that he is trampled on and spoke so badly of. You know, does it break me that he isn't honored? And I think sometimes I wonder if we've just forgotten how forgiven we are. I often don't fully know the extent of what Jesus has done for me, the cost of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for me. I mean, that's why I share my story and I remind myself of my story all the time. And you should do the same. Remind yourself of the story of God's faithfulness, of where he's broken in to your life. And I think we can often read this story where it's like, you know, yes, you know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that this, you know, awful, sinful, broken woman has been forgiven? Isn't that so nice? So nice. God is so good. And that's ultimately why she loves so much, because she's been really bad. It's so easy, isn't it, to put a scale on sin? And when we put a scale on sin, we then limit the level of mercy we have to receive from him. 
You know, the, the truth is that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. That we all can't pay. However much it is, none of us can pay. That without Jesus, we are all dead in sin. All of us, regardless of the scale we put on what the bad things we do, none of us can pay. And acknowledging what he has done for us ultimately then leads to a life of abandonment, leads to a life of devotion and love. Jesus is in this parable, you know, he isn't highlighting a little story of an emotional woman that's a bit OTT by saying what this woman has done is the only way to approach me. This is the only way to approach me because you are all unable to pay. And Jesus says to the woman, doesn't he, as he closes, he says, go in peace, giving our all over to Jesus to acknowledge the debt he has paid through his life, death, and resurrection. We receive the mercy that's on offer for us, the grace and the forgiveness that's on offer for, for, for us, that then we can only give back our love and devotion to him. And that's the way of peace. When we give our whole lives back to him, I only breathe because of grace. Receiving grace is only grace. Being here this morning is only grace. It's all gift. It's all gift. And when we acknowledge this, we actually receive peace. To end then, I guess the question I want to put to us, even as we approach the summer, like me, asking these questions. Are you like Simon? Coming to Jesus with conditions? You know, I'm happy with the discussion. Let me, let's have a chat about it, Jesus. I'm happy about the, you know, with the discussion, the arm's length religion. You know, just tell me what to do. Give me my orders, Jesus how to live, but no, no mess. You know, no emotion. <laughs> you know, I have to ask the question, honestly, us as a church here, um, you know, if someone came in and did all that stuff, you know, whatever that culturally, you know, sort of what that would look like in our culture now, if we had a, a, a woman that come in or, or a man that gave their devotion like that, would we tut? Oh, it's like, isn't it? Would we tut and be like, oh, it's a bit much. Oh, she's, she, she's bringing attention to herself. It's like, oh. But he's saying, this is the way to approach me. When you hear of someone radically giving, you know, I, I met a friend the other day and this person um, owned uh, a house in Nottingham and felt like the Lord say to him, you know, can you sell your house and basically give all the money to charity? You know, when I was talking to him, one, I was like in awe, but I was like, are you sure? Are you sure that was a good idea? That's like me tutting. It's like me tutting. Oh, but you want me to, is that wise? 
It's like, what are you talking about? That is devotion. That is radical, costly devotion of obedience. Not saying that that's what everyone's going to do. But I'm saying it's that kind of thing where we see it. Do we tut or do we say, oh, I want a bit of that. I want to be that in love with you, Jesus. It doesn't matter. Perhaps you've forgotten what Jesus has done for you this morning. And maybe it's just a really simple um, yeah, wake-up call or, um, or an or a encouragement to remember everything that Jesus has done for you. Or perhaps for some, you need a fresh encounter of Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's his love that compels us, isn't it? That he's gone for, he, got, he goes first, you know. This is a response to the love of Christ in our lives. And so perhaps you need a fresh encounter this morning with Jesus. Your eyes need to be opened again. This isn't a transaction. This is a relationship with, with the most beautiful person ever. Perhaps your eyes need opening again um, to the person of Jesus. Because it's this devotion, I believe, it's this devotion that is on the front line of an army taking on a city, taking ground in your workplace, taking ground in your own life, taking ground in your family. Because people do crazy things when they're in love. And we see that, don't we, throughout the scriptures, that actually it's radical devotion that leads to ridiculous obedience, that doesn't care what people think around them, that isn't consumed with what's in the bank account or what's not in the bank account or, um, or even that this life is at the end, you know? It's like, I think that when we grasp as a church once more that we can be foolishly in love, I think then we're ready to be an army to take ground uh, for the sake of the kingdom, basically. Why don't we stand? Let's invite the Lord to come and...